So I don't know about you guys, uh, but oftentimes I like to go on YouTube and just watch a clip of one of my favorite movies. It might be a funny clip from a comedy that I love and I just want to laugh. Uh, it might be a clip from an action movie that's one of my favorites that might get me amped up. Uh, but something I'll often do is I'll show someone else that clip and they won't have the same reaction as me at all. Has that happened to anyone? Yeah. It is heartbreaking. <laughs> But the reason that usually happens is they haven't seen the movie, and so they don't have any idea what's going on in the, in the clip. They don't know the actors, the characters. They don't know the plot. So it's very confusing when you just jump into something. Usually you need to see the whole movie to make sense of an individual clip. And in the same way, you can't just jump into one book in the Bible or one passage or one verse and make it make sense if you don't know the whole story of the Bible. So this week, we're starting a walkthrough of the whole Bible. We'll go th- slower through some sections. We'll speed up through some other sections. But our goal is to make it from Genesis, from the very beginning, to Revelation, and the very end. So an opening question for us that you can share. And humility might be very helpful in this instance. But what's been something that's always been hard for you to understand about the Bible? What's been something that's always been hard for you to understand about the Bible? And chances are, many of us share something that's been hard for you to understand about the Bible. Sienna. If you don't understand what's, you do understand what's going on, and yeah. you understand the plot, the people, yeah. uh, but you might not understand the significance. Is that what you mean? Um, no, I'm saying like, what if? So everybody asks me like, do I believe? Like, do I have trouble believing? Like, mm-hmm. Jesus was raised and stuff. I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe the difference between understanding and agreeing with what the Bible says and maybe a heart-level belief. Is there a difference between those things? What's the difference? That's, I think, something that many people all throughout their Christian life can have trouble understanding. That's a great example. Anything else that anyone wants to share? Carson. Yeah. If, if God knew upon creating the world that humanity would fall into sin, why didn't he stop it? That's a big philosophical and theological question. Janae? Praise God. So you were saying it for the mic. 
you've received clarification yes. on uh, how can you be a Christian and sin and still stay walking with God. Yeah. George. A question I usually ask myself is, if God can do anything, mm-hmm. why doesn't he just wipe out sin? If God can do anything, why doesn't he just wipe out sin? I think that's an amazing question. And Lord willing, one that we'll answer as we walk through the whole Bible. And uh, see why God does what he does. See what God's doing. And if he's maybe promised to wipe out sin. Maybe if he has. I have three hopes for going through the whole Bible as a group together. First, I hope we can see that the Bible is understandable. I hope we can see the Bible is understandable. It's not meant to be confusing. It's been given to us so that we can know and have fellowship with God. The Bible is meant to be understandable. I hope we can grow in our understanding together. I hope that we can see that the Bible is relevant to our lives. It's not just a random old novel that uh, someone wrote a long time ago and might be helpful. It might teach us something about literature or about history, but it really isn't that important for me to read. Uh, No, we all need to know the Bible, and it's applicable and relevant to each of our lives. So I hope we'll learn that the Bible is understandable. I hope we'll see that the Bible is relevant to our lives. But most importantly, I hope that we get a bigger picture of God as a result of walking through his word from start to finish. I hope that we'll get to see that uh, from walking through the Bible, we'll see God in a new and truer light as the Lord over all things, over all of history, and over each one of our lives. So to see this big picture, we're going to start with a big summary. One sentence that tries to summarize the whole Bible. One sentence that's true about every page and every passage in the Bible. So if you randomly turn to any page, that page, uh, this sentence would be true about whatever is on that page. Question, George. Uh-huh. You raised your hand with a question. That's okay. <laughs> we're we're going to try and get one sentence that summarizes the whole Bible. That's kind of a hard thing to do. So the question would be, it's a rhetorical question for all of us, what is that sentence? I'm going to tell you that sentence. Here it is. The Bible is one story about God's glory by redeeming a people in Christ. The Bible is one story about God's glory by redeeming a people in Christ. Yep. Every night, we're going to look at how the Bible is one story about God's glory by redeeming a people in Christ. Every part of the Bible is contributing to one story. Every part of the Bible is going to be about God's glory. Every part of the Bible is going to be about him redeeming a people in Christ. No matter what passage you read in your morning devotions, no matter what passage a pastor is preaching on on Sunday morning, no matter what verse a skeptic comes up to you and challenges you about, every single one of those is about the one story that's about God's glory 
by redeeming a people in Christ. It, may, it, it certainly may take us some work to see that in each part of the Bible. God might show us only in pictures and metaphors that that's true. God might not even use his name. In the book of Esther, for instance, the name, the word God, isn't in the whole book. But I hope we'll see that every part of the Bible, including Esther, is about that one story about God's glory by redeeming a people in Christ. It's one story. The Bible is one cohesive story with one author. It's, got, it's made up of 66 books. It has dozens of authors written over thousands of years, but it amazingly fits together as one story And that's because it has one divine author. Remember, we talked about that several months ago. It's got one divine author, the Holy Spirit, and it has one main purpose. The main purpose is that it's about God's glory. Like any good story, it's got a main character and a main purpose. The main character isn't you or me. It's God. And the main purpose is displaying His glory. The main purpose is displaying His glory. And displaying his glory just means making his magnificence known. That's all. Augie? Sure, there's water bottles right over there. How does God make his glory known? By redeeming a people in Christ. The plot of that story, how God reveals his glory, is by redeeming a people in Christ. Every part from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to the fall, to the nation of Israel coming about, to the incarnation of Jesus, to the very end where everything gets wrapped up. It's all about him redeeming a people by saving a people in Jesus. And that means that it, the Bible has everything to do with you and me because there's only one God, because we were all created to glorify that one God, and we are all in need of redemption by Christ. So the story naturally begins with God. And before he redeems a people, he has to make a people. And he has to make a world for them to live in. So let's start at the beginning. Let's read Genesis 1 through Genesis 2, 4. So if you open to the very first page... After the introduction, after the table of contents, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, 
plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth, forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. And let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heaven, the heavens and the earth, when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. I want us to leave tonight with four big takeaways from the creation account in Genesis 1. Leave with four big takeaways. One, creation is historical. Creation is historical. Two, creation shows God's sovereignty. Creation shows God's sovereignty. And three, 
Creation shows us an orderly and good God. Creation shows us an orderly and good God. And fourth, the God who creates is the same God who redeems. So creation is historical. Creation shows God's sovereignty. Creation shows us an orderly and good God. And the God who creates is the same God who redeems. Creation is historical. So this is a story. It's the beginning of a story, but it's not made up. This is history. We wouldn't know how the world came to be if God didn't reveal it himself. This isn't one ancient society's theory about how the world came into existence. This is God revealing how it happened. This is him telling us how he created the world. Some people might say, well, Cal, that's not what scientists say. They say the world's four billion years old. They say it took billions and millions of years of all these processes uh, that to form the earth into what it looks like today and to form people and animals into what it looks like today. It didn't happen in six days. But this isn't an issue of science. It's an issue of history. Science is observable and repeatable. And the creation of the world isn't observable or repeatable. Because we weren't there, we have to take God's word for it. Jesus did. Paul did. So should we. But that doesn't make belief in this, in the historicity of this story, illogical. It doesn't make it blind faith. That's stupid. It's actually logical for creatures to believe their creator. What's illogical is to think that we're neutral observers who evolved from little bacteria, who started growing little arms and legs and eyes and ears, and now believe that the world came into existence by popping into existence out of nothingness all by itself. That's illogical. You'll be confronted by all sorts of people with all sorts of opinions about the world. All sorts of people who make up their own ideas about how the universe came into existence, where they came from, why we're all here, what we're doing on this planet. If we want to rightly understand the world around us, we have to start here in Genesis 1. If you want to see me rightly, if you want to see yourselves rightly, if you even want to see the chair you're sitting on rightly, then you have to see it in relation to its creator, to God. We have to start by seeing God as the creator of all things, who did so in six days, who said it was all very good, who created us in his image, and who rules over all things. So I want you to picture two people looking at a pair of scissors. They agree that they're scissors. They call them scissors. And when they're asked to use the scissors, the first person picks up the scissors and He cuts a piece of paper in half. He snips a piece of string. And when the second person goes to use the scissors, he tries to carve his name into the piece of paper, just gripping it in his fist and jamming it on the paper and carving his name. One person understands the purpose of those scissors. He has a right view of the scissors. The person who doesn't use them rightly, who doesn't understand the purpose of the scissors, isn't viewing the scissors in the right 
way. We only know our purpose when we know our creator. In order to have a right understanding of anything, we have to know its purpose. Because because God created all things, and even has a purpose for all things, that also means that he rules over all things. So our second big takeaway is that creation shows God's sovereignty. Creation shows God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty just means his total and powerful rule. God's sovereignty just means his total and powerful rule. God created all things out of nothing. Look down in your Bibles at verse 1, at the very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavenly realms, the empty universe, the stars, matter, earth, none of it existed. Do you see how powerful God is? He created all that exists merely by speaking it into existence. Nothing stood in his way from doing that. There wasn't another force in the universe that he had to fight against and wrestle with in order to bring things into creation. He didn't have to overcome anything. There was only God. Then he spoke. Then all things came into being. Augie. Well, in verse, it does say that God rested on the seventh day. Okay. Well, maybe you can show me after, and we can call the editors of ESV, call Crossway. Uh, So while you're looking at your own Bibles, look back at chapter 1. Look how many times it says, And God said, and it was so. God speaks, and it happens. Nothing stands in his way. And nothing helped God either. He didn't need any help. He created alone. And he alone rules. What God says goes. Nothing he doesn't want to have happen, happens. He never gets frustrated. Psalm 90 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 115 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40 about God's sovereign rule over his own creation. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and showed him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, The nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are the beasts enough for a burnt offering. 
all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. These passages remind us that the creator of the world is not ruled by the world. It's the other way around. He who is powerful enough to make all things is powerful enough to rule over all things. So every time we look at creation, every time we think about the fact that we exist, we should marvel at the power of God who created all things, who keeps all things existing, and who rules all things. God's the creator. That means all things belong to him. He has the right to control all things. He also has the right to tell us how to live. That means two things for us. Because God's the creator who owns all things and can tell us how to live, that means two things for us. We should trust him and we should obey him. We should trust him and we should obey him. To trust him in this context means to see that his rule is good. It's foolish to try and rebel against a God who is that powerful. We should trust him like clay in a potter's hands. We aren't the potters. The Bible says that God is a potter and we are like clay in his hands. No amount of struggling against that fact can change it. There's great peace in trusting God as our creator. To obey him means first and foremost that we see his rules as good. So to trust him means to see that his rule is good. To obey him is to see that his rules are good. He's the one who gets to determine what is good and what is bad, what's right and wrong. In sports, the creator of the game gets to do that, to say, this is good, bad, and right and wrong. James Naismith invented basketball in the late 1800s in Massachusetts. He nailed a peach basket to the side of a barn and threw a basketball through it. And now the L.A. Lakers exist because of that. (laughs) He got to say what the rules were. So if you're playing in an organized basketball game today, and all of a sudden you pick up the ball and start running with it, and say, "Uh, you guys have to dribble, but I don't have to. (laughs) Uh, You don't get to do that. The players don't get to determine the rules for themselves. The creator does. So God determines the rules. He determines both the moral rules and the natural rules. We see that God's creation is orderly and good. Look at each paragraph in your Bible in this first chapter. Look at how the paragraphs start and how the paragraphs end. They start by saying, and God said, and end by saying, and there was evening and there was morning. The first, second, third, fourth, etc. day. God could have created all at once, but he, cho- he chose to do so in a specific and orderly way. He made things in order on specific days. God creates matter and light. Then he forms it into the world. Then he brings life out of the world. Then he makes man. There's a logical order to everything. And he keeps declaring that everything is good until he finishes. And then he says everything is very good. There's order and goodness in creation because God is a God of order and goodness. God is a God of order and he is good. 
And that's our third big takeaway. <clears throat> two plus two is four. Is there an instance when it's not four, Lily? That's a different equation. Two plus two, that's a different equation. Two plus two is always four. It always has been, and it always will be. Why? Because God is a God of order. Two plus two will always be four. Do not lie. Do not lie. That is also true. That always has been and always will be true. That's a moral rule. It's a rule because God is a moral God. And he created a moral order, just like he created a natural order. Going against God's natural or moral order is foolish and rebellious. Going against either one is foolish and rebellious. The goodness of creation points us to the goodness of God. God creates because he's good, because he's loving and kind. God didn't need to create. Think about that. He needed nothing. He gains nothing. He lived for eternity, in eternity past, in perfect fellowship within his triune self. He doesn't gain anything by creating us. He created out of love. Do you ever look at things and think that things aren't fair? That life is generally bad? Do you maybe even think that God is out to get you sometimes? That's not God's general posture to you. His posture towards you as part of his creation is of love and kindness. God's given you food, parents and grandparents, friends, shelter. God is so kind to us. Do you sometimes wish that things were different? Maybe do you wish that you didn't need your parents? Maybe you wish that you were a different age or that you had something that you see someone else over there has? Well, God's order for this world is good. And we should see, we should do our best to see it that way. We'll talk about this more next time, uh, in two weeks. But it's good that God made you the way he made you and gave you just what he gave you. The last thing I want us to see from this passage is that the same God who creates is the God who redeems. The same God who creates is the God who redeems. God existed in eternity, like we just said, before creation as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God creates as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God saves as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one. He alone is the creator. But in the act of creation, all three persons of the Trinity are present. God the Father is the creator. He's the one who plans and purposes creation. But the Holy Spirit is also the creator. Look at verse 2. The Holy Spirit is present in creation. Do you see the Spirit in verse 2? And look in verse 3. God creates by speaking, by his word. Now, it's not until the New Testament, so we have to be very patient, but in the New Testament, 
we get a more clear understanding of the Trinitarian nature, the three-person nature of creation. God creates through his Son, the eternal word, Jesus. Colossians 1, 15-20 says this. Speaking of Jesus, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, meaning the, the preeminent, the, the crown prince, basically, of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This is Colossians talking about Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The triune God created the world, rules the world, and saves the world. When we read our Bibles and study Genesis, we aren't studying a distant God who sets the world in motion and then leaves it to itself. We're studying the personal God who, even though he's different from his creation, isn't far off from his creation. We're studying the personal God who guides each one of our lives. We're studying the personal God who offers us salvation in Christ, who gave himself for sinners like you and like me. When we study Genesis, we learn about the personal God who's very near to each one of us. Let's pray. Father God, the heavens declare your glory. Your creation testifies to the greatness of its creator, of you. Lord, help us to see more clearly as we study Genesis or any book of the Bible that you are a good and orderly God and that you're a gracious God who offers salvation in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, come on, let's go.